Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to head over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. And if you haven't done so, please leave a review on iTunes. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated. But more than anything, I want to hear what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of reviews, I don't have a new review for you this week, but I would also like for you to leave a review somewhere else. I know you guys have been buying my book. Uh, I get uh, comments, people reaching out to me, telling me that they bought the book, they really enjoyed it. Uh, I love hearing those. But would you mind leaving them on Amazon too so other people uh, hear about them? Uh, That way people... Read your reviews. Know that my book is worth reading, or maybe they don't. Uh, maybe they you don't you didn't like my book. Uh, those are fine too. I really want to know what you think, uh, so I can grow as a writer, just as I'm trying to grow as a podcaster. So please let me know what you think. And speaking of growing as a podcaster, I have a brand new episode for you this week, as I do every week. So without further ado, here is Veronica Batalico who served in Costa Rica 2016-2017 and her Peace Corps story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Veronica Patelico and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Veronica, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Tyler? Doing well. Excited that we could connect uh, from such a great distance. You are currently uh, in Spain, uh, not where you did your Peace Corps service, uh, because uh, it is a very developed country, but you have (laughs) stayed abroad uh, and seeking out different experiences like that. So I'm excited that you could stay up a little bit later, maybe than normal, to uh, talk to me about your experience in Costa Rica. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out. And yes, it is is a bit later here, but no worries. Um, it's around t- uh, 10.45 in Spain, but that's about dinner time. So <laughs> it's it's not too late. Uh, probably a little bit different than dinner time that you experienced during your, your Peace Corps service. Oh, yes. My daily schedule has shifted absolutely completely. I was definitely already in bed by this time when I was serving. So I have had a lot of readjustment coming back Well, or at finishing service and coming to Spain. It's very different here. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Well, let's start from the beginning. Let everybody know a little bit about you, uh, your, your, your background, and what you were doing in Costa Rica. Okay, so um, I was a TEFL teacher and trainer volunteer in Costa Rica in 2016 to 17. Um, I was placed in a small farm town or village, however you want to call it, um, in a very rural area. 
um, about an hour and a half from the capital, and it was very tropical. So I was in one of the areas that had a lot of heat and humidity. Um, I, my primary project was working in a local high school, and the high school had a focus on the environment. So it was it was kind of cool. It was a bit different than. Um, a typical high school, I guess you would say. Um, and I also did a lot of secondary projects, mostly focusing on English because English is so important in Costa Rica since tourism is so big and drives their economy. Um, and I also worked on a lot of secondary projects with tourism as well. Okay. And what did your rural community look like? Um, was this sort of dirt roads? Did you have electricity, mm -hmm. running water? Mm -hmm. So I did have electricity and running water. I did not have hot water, which I think is pretty common, but um, I appreciate a hot shower every day. <laughs> now, I still do not go a day without... Um, <laughs> without appreciating it. But yeah, so I had running water, electricity. Um, I had dirt roads in my community. There was no transportation that passed. My community was a, a bit difficult to explain. So it was a small town, but it was kind of surrounded by a lot of other small towns. So in my actual community, I didn't have any transportation. So I owned a bike um, and that is how I got around everywhere. I would usually arrive to school or to um, one of the courses I was doing or whatever project uh, drenched in sweat because it was always around 90, 95 degrees with like 90% humidity. Um, and yes, my community was filled with farms, mostly uh, we had banana plantations and we also had it's very hard to explain. They grew these, it was like a ornamental plant. And um, the there was actually a big ornamental factory in my community, um, which was kind of a little strange because it's not really something that was found many of the towns. But it basically was where everyone worked. So it was kind of cool because it provided a lot of jobs to the local community members. Um, and what the plantation did was they basically cut down all the ornamental plants and they separated them into different, different types and they shipped them off to, I think, Europe, uh, mainly Germany and, and the U.S. as well. And they basically, I don't know if you've, if you've ever walked into like a really nice hotel or something and they have just like these beautiful plants that's, that's what, what they are. It's kind of hard to explain um, without seeing a picture, but um, that was mainly what drove the economy. And most of the people, as I said, worked in that factory or they worked within the plantations. Okay. And these weren't uh, like potted house plants. Were these like clippings of the plant? Yeah, they were clippings of the plant. So they would basically ship them off and then wherever they got shipped to, they would then um, assemble the plants. Hmm. Yeah, it was very interesting. <laughs> it's very, very difficult, though, to explain without like having a vision of it. But mm. they're very pretty. <laughs> and then what did your house look like? We know you had electricity, running water, mm -hmm. no hot water, though. 
but was this a, a pretty small house, sort of one room, two room? Mm-hmm. Well, what, what was your home like for your time in Costa Rica? So <laughs> I actually lived in three houses while I was there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I first started off living with a host family and it was in a relatively small house. Um, it was a government funded house. So the house was provided to the family. Um, and it had three rooms, three bedrooms, a kitchen and a living room, which might sound big, but it was not big. The rooms were all very small and the walls did not go all the way up to the ceiling. So it was kind of like you were in one room with everyone. And at times there were seven to eight people in the house. Um, normally there were only about four or five, but it was basically like when someone woke up in the morning or woke up to go to the bathroom or anything and the light turned on, the whole house lit up. Um, so that was, that was a bit of my introduction to my community and it was a bit of an adjustment at first. Um, but yeah, so I lived with, with a family for the first three or four months and then I moved out on my own. Um, and I had a similar situation, but it was my own house. Um, and I actually ended up moving again for two reasons, which could probably turn into a whole story. Um, but then I actually lived in a very nice house that had two floors. Um, it was made of wood. So I had a, in both my houses, I had a very big mold problem, which I'm sure many people in Peace Corps have experienced before. Um, but it was so bad in my second house that it was destroying my clothes and my technology and everything, which was part of the reason why I left. Um, but I still had it in my second house as well, but my second house was really, really nice. I would definitely say that I got extremely, extremely lucky. I had, um, banana, banana trees outside. I had lemon trees, papaya tree. I had literally every fruit that you could imagine. So I kind of got to eat a lot of very fresh, um, fresh fruit while I was living there. And it was very in a very quiet part of the town as well. So um, I slept very well as well. But it also sometimes I missed the other two houses I was living in because I was more central and I was more close to everyone in my community. Um, but that was that was the main the main gist of of where I was living. <laughs> so a, 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 a few different houses. And yeah. you said that and you said that there could be a, a whole story there of transitioning from that, that second mm-hmm. to third house. Would you like to elaborate anymore? Because this is the My Peace Corps mm-hmm. Story podcast and I, I can't I, I can't will. just let that go. I will, I will. Um okay, so actually it started with the first house. I lived with a host family. Um and my host family was absolutely wonderful. When I arrived, they welcomed me with open arms. Um, and I, I got on with them really well. Um, but there was a bit of gossip going around about them when I went to my site visit, which if anyone hasn't been in Peace Corps, and I actually don't know if this is the same for every country, but, um, you do a site visit before you go to site. And when I went to my site visit, um, Someone at my school had told me that they didn't think I should live with the family because my host mom was 
dating a very young guy who had apparently just gotten out of jail um, and they didn't know if it would be safe and blah, blah, blah. Um, I went and I was with them and everyone was super nice to me and I felt really comfortable and um, we kind of just said, okay, let's let it play out because I had to go back to my training site um, and then like we'd see what happened once I got there. Um, so I arrived and like I said, they were really great. Um, and it was about three weeks into my service. I had to leave for the weekend. Um, and my host mom asked me if she could go into my room. And I said, yes, I think she was, she was doing some work on the house cause it was a relatively new house. Um, and before that I had, went into town, which was about a 40, 45 minute bike ride. And I got money out for the week. Um, not, not the week, I'm sorry, for the month, which was not very, very smart on my part, to be honest, but I wasn't thinking and it was just, I was getting used to everything. It was very new to me. Um, and so I took out probably about a hundred dollars. Um, and I was, like I said, I had to leave for the weekend. Um, and I kind of, realized that I shouldn't have done that. And I don't know why I didn't take it with me. But anyway, I, I put it away and I hit it. Because normally Peace Corps makes you live in a place where you have to have a door that locks and they have a bunch of regulations. But anyway, um, I trusted them, but I still, you know, didn't want to keep my stuff hanging out and my money hanging out either. So um, I went away I put the money away and I took wrote note about how much I had and um, where I put it because I can also sometimes forget things. Um, so then when I came back, I went and I remember I was just like getting settled and I went to check for my money and it was not there. Um, so my host mom came in my room and I kind of was like, she could see I was flustered. Um, and I, she was like, what's wrong? You know, what happened? And I was like, oh, well, I had money and it's missing. And she was like, oh, no, I don't know where it could have went. Blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, no one was in your room or I, you know, I was doing work in your room, but no one touched your things and no one else was in the house. So and I was like, we checked everywhere. Um, and I said, you know, let's go to bed and we can figure it out in the morning because sometimes I was really tired, I remember. And, you know, sometimes you just overlook things. So then in the morning I woke up and um, she actually called me and told me that someone that was in the house, I think it was my host sister that didn't originally, or she didn't always live there. Um, she had, she saw my money hanging out. She said, I don't know, I don't remember exactly where it was, but she said it was hanging out and just, you know, out in the open which I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but, um, <laughs> and she said she took it and put it in the bank to keep it safe, but had not told anyone. So then after that, I kind of lost a little bit of trust with them. Um, and my host mom told me that she was going to give it back to me that day. Um, to make a long story short, I didn't get it back that day, but I did eventually get it back. Um, and, but yeah, then I was just a little, a little weary about my stuff um, and everything <laughs> like that. And I'm trying to think exactly what happened after. I don't know. There was a whole series of events. But after I, um, I remember I went to the Capitol and I actually stayed with 
her brother. And so it was my host, and I was with my host brother and his uncle, which was my host mom's brother. And um, earlier that day, the grandfather, so my host mom's father, had come by the house and he was doing work on the house and he was really nice, but I was home alone. Um, and I remember he came in and started drinking coffee and we were talking and all that good stuff. And then I, when I was there with the uncle and the brother, I kind of said something like, oh yeah, I met your, your father today. And his face got red, like who? And I was like, your father, he came by the house and he was, you know, doing some work or whatever. And he was like, why is he coming by the house? And I was, I was like, okay, I just hit a a sore subject. (laughs) Um, And most of this, or most of my conversations were always in Spanish, but the uncle spoke some English. So we were speaking in Spanish and he turned to English um, and he said he should not be coming past the ha- or coming to the house. He had murdered my mom. Um, mm. So <laughs> I had this whole in Spanish, they would say telenovela um, <laughs> going on with my host family. And I genuinely really really had a great relationship with them, but it kind of started to dwindle. Um, and after all those things had happened, I kind of just didn't feel a hundred percent comfortable in the house. Um, and there were a few other things along with that. And I ended, so I ended up moving out a little earlier than I normally would have. Um, and it turned into this whole fiasco, but to make a long story short, that's how I left my first house. Um, (laughs) and it was kind of funny because after I left a bunch of people in my community were kind of like, yeah, we were like, why were you living there? You know, why were you placed there? There should have, you should have been placed with someone else. And I was like, well, I don't know why anyone didn't really make that clear ahead of time, but anyway, it's totally fine. Um, and then after that, I, Oh, this actually, this same story will go into my second house. But like I said, I had a really bad mold problem in my second house. um, And I kept getting sick. And I didn't know if it was because of that. But anyway, um, it was that. And I had a really bad cockroach problem as well. And I know this is probably normal, but it was so bad that I remember one day I was cleaning my house and I was spraying. And there was a hole like right underneath my kitchen sink and I sprayed it with a bug repellent. And I am not kidding you about 50 cockroaches just came out and it was like, it could have been a scene of a horror story. I swear to God. I, I don't even know though if I really reacted as I probably would now because I was so used to it, but I was just like, I was like, I need to, I need to get out of this house. It was just, it just wasn't very hygienic. Um, so then I ended up moving to the next house, but not only that, the, to add on to that, the first part with my host family, um, there, my host mom was with, a she had a boyfriend and he was, he was young. He was around my age. Um, and I didn't have any problem with that. It, you know, it's her life and, I'm all for you doing your thing. Um, But he had come 
past my house a few times and he knocked on my door and asked to come in and I said no um I was kind of talking to him because I had like a door and then a gate in front of the door and I was talking to him through the gate but he didn't speak very clearly so it was very hard for me to understand him um and he so he came by once and it was very strange and then he came by about two more times and the second time he just like kept persisting that I let him in and I said no you know I I don't feel comfortable and I told him that I thought he should leave and he was or persisting on coming in and eventually he just left but um it never turned into anything bad but I didn't want my I didn't want anyone to see that happening um because I I'm sure you know and most people in Peace Corps that live in small towns like things travel very quickly um and I already had you know some drama with my first host family and I I didn't want it to turn into anything else so um I I talked to Peace Corps about it and um between those two things I just figured I should move and when I did move like I said before I lived on like a very quiet um side road kind of that was in my town but I was kind of away from all the the well the center of of my community and um I never had any problems after that. I don't think he knew where I was living. So that was a relief. Wow, what a what a story of uh, musical houses starting off <laughs> at the the set of a telenovela, then going to the cockroach infested uh, mold house that was destroying everything. And then finally you ended up at the the wooden house with a little slice of it sounded like tropical paradise with all all the fruits and everything. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was kind of like a little dream, a dream Costa Rican house, I would say. <laughs> well, it seems like it all it all worked out for uh, for the best as far as your housing situation went. And in that same uh, vein, uh, vein of thought, do you have a favorite Peace Corps memory that, that you would like to share with us? Um. I have many favorite memories. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very hard to to pick just one. Um, I I feel very fortunate because I when I went to my community, there were a lot of people who had a lot of interest in doing things and getting projects started, and everyone was just so friendly. So I have a lot of very good memories. Um, but there was one that I I think I wrote about in my little survey. Um, and I had kind of an adopted family at site and Carolina was my unofficial host mom. Well, I I would call her. Um, and she was just absolutely awesome. She was there for me for everything. And I would always go over to their house. She had kids and, and a husband and, um, just hang out there and eat and have coffee and play with the kids. Um, but anyway, I made a joke to her one day that I wanted some chickens because I wanted to to have my own eggs because I ate lots of eggs and everyone in, in the community had chickens and they sold eggs and they had cows and sold their own milk and everything. So I, I made a joke that I wanted some chickens to to have my own eggs and to start my own little farm. Um, complete joke. And probably the next day she showed up at my house with two little chickens. Um, 
and in a box. And I thought she was joking around. Um, and she gave them to me and told me, you know, here are your chickens. Um, and she told me that it was my test to see if I could take care of them and if I was going to be a good mother. So anyway, I had, this was in my last house and I had two pet bats, not by choice, but <laughs> I had an attic and, um, they lived up there and there was really nothing I could do about it. So, um, she gave them to me in a box and I lived where I lived. There was like a little gated area in the back. Um, so she told me I had to keep them in the box at night and keep the box closed, which I did. Um, but sadly enough, after about probably two nights, one of the chickens got eaten by one of the bats um, and that was gone. And I told her I was, I was very upset and I told her and I felt really bad. So the next day she showed up with another chicken. Um, and so we went through this whole whole little game of chickens arriving at my house. Um, but I, the box could not keep them away from the bats. So <laughs> I think I ended up with four or five and I want to believe that a few of them just escaped on their own and ran away, but, um, I'm not very convinced that happened either. So I ultimately ended up at, by the end of the week with zero chickens, but yeah, it was just, it was it was a very funny memory, and I still keep in touch with her a lot today, and she always reminds me of it. Um, but yeah, so that was that was one of my my memories that sticks out very well in my mind. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a a good thing that you uh, were an English teacher and not so much an animal husbandry volunteer. Uh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> uh, did you did you do any sort of agricultural projects, uh, any gardening in your community? And if not, what were some of the projects that you did uh, as a volunteer? Okay, um, I didn't do too much agricultural stuff. I I would have loved to, but like I said, my community was very into the idea of learning English and um, of also working in tourism. So. Um, I had quite a few projects going, but one of my favorite ones outside of my primary project was um, with a program called the Leafcutter Project. And like I mentioned, my high school was or had a focus on the environment. So partner with a tour company called Global Travel Alliance, and they created this project called the Leafcutter Project. Um, a few years ago, the, some of the students had made paths in the back of the school throughout the forest um, to kind of like explore the forest more and learn about learn about it um, and all those good things. And they could kind of do some of their classes out there. So this company, um, well, one of the guides from the company who was local came and I think he had a niece or nephew in the school and he started this project called the Leaf Cutter Project. Um, where he was training students um, to be tour guides and he was teaching them about rainforest conservation, um, different environmental issues and just different things. There was lots of rivers in my um, in my town. So he was teaching them about like the fauna and um, rivers and just all this really cool stuff um, with the aim of training them enough for that when they finish high school, they could be hired on with the company. Um, 
And it was really cool because where I lived, the community and all the surrounding communities were very small and most students didn't graduate high school or if they did graduate high school, they ended up working mostly in the plantations. So this provided them with like a really, really unique opportunity. Um, And he came to the school once or twice a month and he did like workshops and trainings with them. And then the company would send um, groups of students from the United States and they would go on like a global learning trip. And part of their trip would be going to the high school and the students that were being trained to be tour guides would give them tours and they would practice, get like some real life experience, um, giving them tours through the forest and around the school. And sometimes they would like do a little cultural project um, and then they would like play volleyball and just get interaction with foreigners um, and teach them about the culture in Costa Rica. And then sometimes the other students would do something to teach them about the culture in the U.S. Um, and it was a it was a really, really cool project. I got to work with them to kind of help expand it. And I became well, the tour guide, his name was Daniel. He became one of my counterparts. Um, and I helped the students with English because the, the main thing they struggled with was learning English. Um, and they needed it in order to to work in the tourism industry later on. Um, and I also kind of helped him to evaluate the project and find ways to improve it. Um, he took the students on some like tours around the country as well. They would go to like major um, tourism spots and they would practice giving speeches about uh, either a place or some famous thing. And then we would give them, give them feedback and I would, I would go with them and I would give them feedback on their um, speeches in English. So that was, that was probably my, one of my favorite side projects. I also worked with, I did some other English courses. I did a course for uh, the directors in the area. So like the principals, um, an English course. And I worked with a local Costa Rican teacher. Um, It was cool. They got a certificate from a local university after saying they completed the course. And that was kind of to encourage them to learn English more because they, most directors didn't know English and they couldn't really help improve their English program at the schools because they, they couldn't evaluate lesson plans or anything like that. Um, just cause they had no English background. And, um, that program actually is still going on today with a volunteer that is in a community that was very close to mine. So that's, that's kind of cool just to know that it still exists and they're still doing it. Um, I also did some work with the public education or it's called MEP, Public Education, I'm I'm losing, or I'm blanking right now, but they're the national system, the English system, and we worked on um, creating the new English system that they were developing throughout Costa Rica, and I got to kind of contribute some resources for that, so that was really cool. Um, And I worked with the local university a bit too with their tourism program and mostly doing English. So th- those were my main my main projects. Well, it sounds like you were pretty busy uh, doing a lot of work, all revolving around English. And as you said, 
tourism was a very big industry uh, in your community, in Costa Rica at large. And with that, uh, a lot of volunteers or people consider those countries where people go to vacation as Posh Corps. You're, you're mm-hmm. doing Peace Corps service in a place where people like to go uh, for, you know, to take a week away from work. Uh, but that is your life for two years. Um, what would you like to say uh, about that and about the idea of Posh Corps and serving in a quote unquote Posh Corps country? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Costa Rica is definitely one of the Posh Corps countries. Um, and I will say that it is probably more developed than a lot of Peace Corps countries. Um, but that is not to say that it does not have its its problems and its areas where it needs development still. Um, also, I know a lot of people have been to Costa Rica visiting, and I had previously been as well, as completely as a tourist. And going as a tourist and then living there as a Peace Corps volunteer in a local area is absolutely completely different. Um, Costa Rica has been, the touristy areas have been built up so much and it is very, very like the complete contrast from what it is actually like to live in a local area. Um, So, you know, as I said, I lived in a small rural town and most people were working on the plantations um, doing physical labor and making very little money to support their whole family. Um, and there's still a lot of drug problems that exist in communities like that. Um, like I said before, uh, from the high school, a lot of students still don't graduate high school. Um, dropout rates are pretty high still. And they end up still working in in the plantations. So, you know, opportunities are still very low. I think, you know, it's developing and with tourism, there's a lot of very good that comes from it because it's providing people with a lot of more job opportunities. Um, But like I said, you know, there still is a huge struggle and what you actually see when you go and visit isn't the whole picture. (laughs) Um, And yeah, a lot of, and I actually, just to touch on that, a good example of this is my, you know, my community was still developing a lot too, but there's a huge um, indigenous part of Costa Rica, which I never knew about before I went. And I went on a site visit while I was in training and I visited two volunteers that lived in an indigenous community who had no running water, um, who had no electricity, Um, and you know, they actually, maybe they did have electricity, but they had very limited, I don't remember. It was the, the way it worked, but it was, they were living literally where there was nothing. They basically ate potatoes and bananas and meat. Um, and they showered in the river, you know, they washed their dishes in the river, they washed their clothes in the river. Um, and it took them about four hours to get from site to the closest town with like a grocery shop and civilization basically um so that part of costa rica does exist too and there are volunteers out in those areas um so it is it is a good thing to know that just because it's a or it seems like a 
Pashkor country, you know, there also are a lot of volunteers that are still living in areas like that and are experiencing service without all the necessities that, or I guess some of the necessities that we do have in Pashkor countries like electricity and running water, um, which I guess I was, I was fortunate enough to have at my site. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you know, think that Pashkor countries, you know, it's got to be so much easier because you have those conveniences Mm -hmm. like electricity and running water. And I didn't, I didn't have either of those in my service, but those, the lack of those things wasn't what made my service hard. My service was made hard by the things that I think are common across all Peace Corps service, uh, that, you know, trying to navigate a new culture, new languages, feeling isolated, alone, not knowing how to convey your thoughts. Then there's always the horrible transport. Uh, even if you're in a Pashkor country, uh, the transport's not going to be that great. And then uh, illness. I think illness <laughs> is something that, that stretches across all of them and something that impacted you in your service. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you want to let, let's dive into that because people who are who are listening and if they read the title um they'll they will have seen that uh, your peace corps service was 2016 to 2017 uh your service was cut short uh tell us why Okay um so first yes I do agree with you I think um in every country you know peace corps volunteers struggle with the same things regardless of if it's a bit more developed or not. Um, And illness is one of those things. Not everyone is going to experience this, but it happens. Um, And it happened to me very unexpectedly. Um, So I will make a long story short, but I was actually finishing a project that I didn't mention before, but was actually one of my big projects that I did um, during the summer break in Costa Rica. It was called Jumpstart, and it was basically an intensive English course for elementary school students entering high school, um, and it was to prepare them if they hadn't received enough English or they hadn't received any English at all. So I did a grant with um, that was funded by Let Girls Learn, and or it was associated with Let Girls Learn. And um, anyway, I had just finished this big project, and I was really tired. Um, and I think that it was a day after I went to climb Chiripo, which is the highest point in Costa Rica. So it was a two-day hike, but it was it was pretty intense. Um, and after I got back from that, I had a friend visit. And I remember when she was there, I was exhausted. Um, I'm a very, very active person. And when I do physical activity, I... I mean, I normally get tired, but after doing, you know, quite a bit of activity. So I just started getting really fatigued. And that was the first thing. And I was like, you know, riding my bike everywhere and trying to get around. Um, So I was experiencing this fatigue that I had never experienced before, um, which took an impact on me because also physical activity was kind of my stress reliever. Um, And getting to and from my projects was getting difficult. Um, and then I started to have joint pain on top of that. Um, I was starting to have stomach issues, which I'm sure many people in P 
Peace Corps have had. So that was kind of hard to distinguish if it was abnormal or normal. Um, But it was this just whole, I don't know, circle of things that was happening. And so I started kind of like trying to figure out if I was just really exhausted from being busy or if it was something wrong. Um, So anyway, I, you know, I started going to, I had to go to the Capitol to get medical appointments. Um, And over about a month, everything was getting worse and getting worse. And I got to the point where I was so sick to my stomach that I couldn't really eat. Um, And if I was eating, I wasn't retaining it, my food. And I also was so exhausted that I couldn't get out of bed. So I, I actually had a, a big project where it was with, um, with Rotary from the U.S. I'm sure many people have heard of them. And it was called Give a Book. And a group of students from the U.S. were coming to do this project at local elementary schools. And I was so sick. But they were coming this day to present them with these books and to do these cultural, um, like a big cultural exchange. Um, and I remember I woke up and I just thought, I cannot, I cannot do this. I have to go to the clinic. Um, but somehow I managed to get through my day. Um, and I kind of had to be there cause I coordinated everything and no one knew anyone. The, uh, the project with the U.S. in Costa Rica had no connection except for me. Um, and there also was a language barrier. So, so I went, um, and I somehow got through the day and then I went into the city and, um, I had to get rehydrated and to make a long story short, I got stuck in the city for a few weeks. Um, and I had every test ran, I had trying to see if I had some sort of infectious disease. Um, so if it was something with my stomach, I, I don't know, I can't put a number on the amount of tests I had ran, but I ended up being, what what was it called? I think it was called put on a medical hold and I was stuck in the city, the capital. So my projects were already kind of put on hold because I was sick at sight already and I had no energy to, to go and do anything. And I was starting to feel really guilty, um, which wasn't probably helping with my sickness either. But anyway, I got, I got stuck in the city for a while and I was having all these tests ran um, and everything was coming back negative. And I have to say the PCMO was absolutely amazing and she did everything she could to help me and to get different things done. Anyway, to make a long story short, I was waiting on this one test, um, which had to be approved by Washington. Uh, Medical stuff is very complicated with Peace Corps sometimes. But um, anyway, they finally ran it. And after about a month and a half, probably, I'd say, and three weeks of being stuck in the city, I was told I had something called microscopic colitis. Um, And I was told I had to go on a medication for eight weeks. Um, In Peace Corps, you can be called medevaced, which is basically sent back to the U.S. or to a neighboring country to get whatever treatment you need which is only, or you can only go back for six weeks. And I was told I needed this eight eight week medication and I was so happy that I finally had some sort of answer. 
um, and a solution. But after about a day, I was told very quickly that this medication could not be taken in country and I needed to go home to take it. And the decision was made very fast that I was going to be medically separated, which basically means my service was terminated. Um, and I had 72 hours to go back to my site, pack up all my stuff, say goodbye, and ultimately be sent back to the United States. Um, and I was, I knew I was sick and I knew I had to get things sorted out, but it was not, not on my plan of things to do. Um, and it was a very, very difficult way to end my service. Uh, I, I can definitely imagine. And when, when you went back, I mean, you said 72 hours, uh, but I take it that there's a, a lot of stuff that fills in that 72 hours, a lot of administrative things, being in the Capitol and uh, you know, just dealing with, with Peace Corps and getting everything uh, in line. How much time did you actually spend back in your community packing up stuff and, and saying goodbye? Yeah, um, I think that was probably the hardest part. I was probably there for 12 hours, if that, because um, like you said, there was a lot of admin stuff that had to be done and closing my bank account, all that. Yeah, it was it was a lot of stuff that I had to do in the Capitol. So I went back for a very short time. I did not get to say goodbye to many people. It was also very difficult because it was very difficult to explain. Um and yeah, it was, it was not very ideal. I still, I never feel like I got complete closure for my service, which I think is probably the most difficult part. Um, and I was really, really happy with where I was and what I was doing. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy. Like it, it never is for anyone that's in Peace Corps, but I was really I woke up every day and I think it was the first time in my life where I woke up and I was like, you know, I feel really fortunate for this opportunity. And it was cool because I had this chain, this shift in mindset. Like it's not always easy, but this is a really awesome opportunity. And I'm so thankful for it, no matter how challenging my day is or, you know, how difficult it might get. Um, so yeah, kind of, you know, having that and then just having it taken away um, and everything that I worked to build up over that year. I was medically separated at my fi at 15 months. So it was literally like my one year mark in sight. And yeah, it was it was very difficult. But things happen. Um, and I did also learn a lot from that. And I learned that, you know, if you're you have to take care of yourself first. Um because when I was sick and I wasn't focusing on taking care of myself as much as I should have, because I was more focused on trying to get my work done. Um, I really wasn't helping anyone in my site either because I didn't have the energy and the, yeah, the capacity to do the work. Um, and in the state that I was in. Mm -hmm. And is there, Anything else that you learned as a volunteer that you've carried with you post-Peace Corps? Yes, there are many things, but um, there are two main things that really stand out to me and that I really, really try not to lose. Um, the first thing is just to listen 
with the intent to understand and not to reply. Um, I, I, I felt like I integrated pretty well and quickly into my community because I really, really tried to get to know people and to listen to their story. And I learned that even for example, with what happened with my host family, um, instead of getting really angry with the whole money situation, I realized that, you know, my mom, my host mom was, she had really no education and she had come from a rough background. She had three kids who she had raised and was working so hard to send them all to school, which wasn't very common in my community. Um, and she was struggling to do that all working. She was a cook at the local high school. And, you know, I realized that what happened wasn't at a, you know, it wasn't a bad intention, but it was something that she probably felt like she needed to do because she needed the, the, the extra, the extra money or, you know, the extra support. So, um, yeah, I kind of just learned to listen and try and see or learn everyone's story and try and understand why people are the way they are and things are the way they are as well. Um, and I really do try and still do that today, although it's very difficult um, in the competitive society that we live in. And I realize that um, a lot of people also don't really listen to understand. You know, they tend to listen to reply. Um, and then the second thing I would say is just the ability to laugh when it gets hard. Um, Peace Corps is tough and every day is challenging. And like I said, I went through a really rough time at the end, but you kind of have to just learn to laugh it off. And it always seems a little bit easier when you can find the humor in things. Uh, I definitely agree. And those are some amazing lessons to learn and not only to learn, but you you did say that you are working to to keep those you know, in the forefront of your mind, which I think can sometimes be difficult when, when we leave Peace Corps service. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's very it's very difficult to hold on to everything you learn when you come back to the society that we we live in in the United States or even even in Spain. It's very similar. You know, it's a more it's a developed country. So I find that the lifestyle with many things is very similar on um, what social norms and um, society shaping, you know, the way that we live and what's right and what's wrong. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's really important to try and always remember the lessons we learned from Peace Corps because it's a really unique opportunity and not everyone gets it. Um, and yeah, we gotta we gotta take the good things and carry them on with us as we move on with our lives back home. And also, I think it's it's really important to, you know, help people in society that are in our society learn those lessons that we learn there, um, bring it back home with us, and try and help them understand understand it as well mm -hmm. yeah it, it's sort of tied into bringing back that culture um, not only the, mm -hmm. the culture of the the, the foods uh, the language uh, but those lessons as well are are deeply uh, tied to to the culture itself 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's very, very, very important. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you. Uh, it's getting getting late where you are, uh, coming up on almost midnight now. But before we, we end uh, this Skype call, is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Um, I think, well, first, if you're thinking about going into Peace Corps, I would definitely say go for it. Um, it's, as I said before, a really unique experience, but you'll grow in a way that I don't think many other opportunities give you the chance to, to grow in, in the same ways. And also if you are in Peace Corps or go into Peace Corps, um, one of the things I would advise is to make your service your own and to Try and go in without expectations um, and also not to compare yourself to other volunteers um, and to other people's services because everyone's service is different. And that's what for me, that's what made made it very special. It was mine and I got to kind of make it as I wanted and um, yeah, just make it my own. And that's also another really unique and special part of Peace Corps. Um that yeah, I just don't think you you get those opportunities with many other things in life. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing those. Thank you for taking time to speak with me. And in closing, do you have a favorite uh, local quote or saying that you would like to share? <laughs> um, yeah. So if anyone has been to Costa Rica, I'm sure they've heard um, the most typical phrase is "pura vida." And usually they'll say, Pura Vida Mai. And that literally can mean anything you want it to. <laughs> um, it's, it's said after and before everything. So it's a very typical Costa Rican phrase. Right. And, and <laughs> in, in what sort of ways? Where, where, where could we, we use this phrase? So sometimes if people say like, hey, it's Pura Vida or what's up? Pura vida. How are you? What are you doing? Pura vida. Every everything. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. It's it's a very well known and commonly used phrase, or it's just added on to the end of things, and it okay. truly reflects the lifestyle there. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking some time to talk about your service. Um, your eventual uh, medical separation, the ups and downs, the lessons you learned. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Tyler. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Core Story podcast. At the beginning of the show, I asked for you guys to leave a review for my book if you have read it. Well, if you haven't read it, you can find out about My Peace Core Story over on Amazon. My book is called Service Disrupted. It is about my Peace Corps experience serving in Burkina Faso as an ag volunteer, all the ups, downs, and crazy things that happened during my service, uh, the highs, the lows. Uh, I poured a lot of heart into the book and tried to be raw and emotional and paint a picture of Peace Corps that I don't think sometimes gets uh, said in books. So check it out if you're interested in learning more about my Peace Corps story. And until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? What's yours?